The Bible reading this morning is from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil, <clears throat> evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are, blaspheme who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, your sins are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, wonderful to see you who are here in the, in the room and to those who are on live stream uh, wonderful that you can join us in this capacity. It's an interesting season, isn't it, where we are a united community, but yet in, in, different, in different places. Um, but we are still the one church, and that's a beautiful thing. We are going to approach God's word now and explore this passage in James together. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Thank you that it's come to us, and we thank you you've given us your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as I preach this morning, uh, that my words will be yours, that you'll speak powerfully through me, and for my brothers and sisters here and across the screen, that we'll be inspired and encouraged and corrected in the way that we love you and love our neighbor. So God, teach us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you're aware, but in our society today, uh, we live in a divided world. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that everyone hates each other or talking about some of the, the divisions that are going on more broadly politically or anything like that, but we're all different. We're different people, right? Uh, for whatever reason... Um, there's differences that come up in our life, and because of those differences, we form different groups. Sometimes we place ourselves in those groups. Uh, other times they're kind of placed upon us. You know, you might say, we're used to the saying, uh, birds of the feather flock together, right? And sometimes we're like clumped into different like stratas of society, things that are placed upon us. 
There's different groups because of the rich and the poor. We're going to see that a lot in this passage today. Why? Because of languages, different languages people have uh, create distinction between us or our ethnicities, whether like our work, blue collar, white collar, whatever it may be. There's also kind of like the softer ways, the things that we enjoy make us different, uh, the things that we uh, do for work or the sports team we follow, the entertainment that we like. There's lots of differences between people. Now, these differences aren't bad. In many ways, they can be really good and enriching and, and wonderful for our culture and society at large. But there, is a, there can be a very negative side to these differences, can't there? When we treat people differently because of these differences. When we place different levels of value on a person for how they are, how they look, whatever it may be. Basically, we live in, in a divided world, and that divided world can mean that sometimes people are given more value than others. Now, as I talk about this, if you've been in uh, church, hopefully for any period of time, or you're familiar with the teaching of Jesus, you'll know that this is not to be the case in the church, right? Or at least it shouldn't be. It might be the case in the world, but the church is united. We are people that are made up of every type of group every type of person, and we're to be treated, treat each other equally, value each other equally, and even though we are different, we are united in Christ. We are one. And that's actually like a beautiful vision of what the church is all about, isn't it? This united group of different people who are treated equally. But I, ha- but I know that for, for many of us, this might not be our experience of the church, and at some points, the world has, as James says in verse 27, may have polluted how we do church. And so we have been exploring this uh, book in uh, James together. And as you know, it's, an, it's an immensely practical book. Right? James is very concerned with Christians practically living out the faith that they proclaim. In the two messages that Andrew's given us so far, we've been exploring chapter 1. And chapter 1, the first half was very much James, super encouraging. Persevere, keep going. You're in trials, persecution, but keep going in the faith. And then the second half, which is titled Listening and Doing in Your Bibles, and Ange had that catchphrase, just do it, was very much about James rebuking, correcting, encouraging the people, know and value the Word of God and live it out. And that's kind of the foundation to which he then kicks on to the rest of the letter, and he addresses a series of issues uh, that is going on in the churches to which he's uh, writing this letter to. And today we come up against one of those issues. This passage is a strong warning against favoritism in the church. Like, when I first read it, I was a bit like, whoa, this is a bit intense. It's very strong. James is very direct in his language. He's passionately calling the church to not be a divided community based on how we value people, but build on the ethic of loving our neighbor, especially when it comes to how we treat the rich and the poor. So we will go through this together. Please do have your Bible open with you. Uh, That'll be really helpful. And to just reread again, verse 1. My brothers and sisters. You you feel the warmth at the beginning, right? My brothers and sisters. Believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism at its simplest sense that's the message you know i can sit down that's it that's what james is going on about 
But we know these kind of things are much more easier said than done. And James, he wants to uh, lay it out more for us. But clearly there's an issue of favoritism going on uh, in this church. For whatever reason, the, the people are valuing the rich and devaluing the poor. And James is directly calling it out. I really like the way that one of the commentators, Douglas Moo, kind of paraphrased this verse when he says, like, are you really trying to combine faith in Jesus Christ, our glorified Lord, with a worship of rank? Like, how can you put those two things together? But that's what you're actually trying to do. Faith in the glorious Lord is incompatible with favoritism. Those two things, they just do not go together. Discrimination is not the way of Christ. The way of Christ does not have favorites. Now, this concept of favoritism, it is obviously the, the key theme throughout here, and so it's worth defining what's, what we're talking about. And what was really interesting is that the New Testament writers, a few of them use it, Paul uh, in particular, they actually made up this word. They used some Greek words, of course, but they, they concocted it themselves uh, for the church. And it's actually a word which means literally to like, receive someone according to their face, to receive them according to their face, but judging on appearances, uh, judging based on uh, like assessing them accord- according to their value. Now, James, along with the New Testament writers, very definitively says this is not on. Very clearly here, they say in other areas as well. Followers of Jesus do not place different values on people just because of who they are, what they look like, or what they've done. All people are viewed equally by Christ. And therefore, the people of Christ are to then do the same. Now, James, he's witnessed this attitude in the churches to which he's writing to, and this is the very strong warning against it. A strong warning against favoritism. He's then going to go on to talk about the reasons why it's bad and then the positive vision for the church. And so that's the direction we'll take. But he gives this illustration straight up. That's quite a vivid, quite uh, intense illustration in, in, chap- in verses 2 and 3. It was read before and you can see it again in your Bibles. But the image is that there is two people that come into a meeting. Let's just say it's the church. They come into the church service. One is rich, one is poor. One has all the power, privilege, and one is powerless and in poverty. And the actions of the church is, okay, this rich, powerful person, we're going to pamper you. You you sit in the place of honor. We're going to honor you. But the poor person, we're going to dishonor you. We're actually going to subject you. What they're doing is they're looking down based on appearances, valuing these people differently, giving one heaps of honor and one less. And what James is rebuking these Christians for is that they're viewing people in the way that the the broader culture does, the way that the Roman world did, viewing them in the eyes of the world. The world is dividing people on classes between the rich and the poor, the valuable and the valueless, the worthless. And he, James is saying that attitude is coming into the church. And we can't have that. Again, it's a classic example of verse 27 of the world polluting the church. And if favoritism is based on action, if, sorry, if they're doing favoritism and, and judging people based on actions, James is very clear what the result is. 
verse 4, you have discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts. It's evil. It is sinful. It's not just an insignificant misdemeanor. This is the word of God. It is direct. It is strong. It's got extreme weight because it is weighty. It's important. Now, in our context today, we can be just as susceptible to this kind of uh, culture because there is the, the perils of favoritism that we face. And I think the hard thing for us, and, and as I was reflecting on it this week, is it's often a blind spot for us. Like, we don't actively, when someone walks in the door, go, oh, okay, I'm going to act with an evil thought today and you know, you're going to exclude this person or whatever. We don't, we don't, I don't think we, we usually do that, right? We're not actively doing, trying to do that. But it's a blind spot. And for each of us, the way that we treat people in this kind of value um, scale with favoritism it might look a bit different for each of us. In fact, it probably will. In this passage, it's very much based on appearances, right? So for yourself, can you think of the way that you might treat people differently by how they look or, or who they are? their background, whatever it may be, what they've done, do we treat them differently? There's the obvious things, of course, like someone who's quite wealthy compared to someone who's quite homeless, will we treat them differently because of that? Maybe it's their education, someone who's overly intellectual compared to someone who's not, or the type of career that, that someone has. Of course, we, we might be conscious of these things and we have to actively push against them. But there's also a whole other category of things which... I think is probably just as prevalent, uh, especially well, for me, I know, and for us, is that we treat people just differently because they are different to us. They're not like us. And so we give them a, a different set of, of, of values. We flock to those that we care for and for those who are similar to us, but we might ignore or we might um, just not even see those who are different. And if we build on the kind of polarizing which is going on in our society at the moment, if, those, if someone has a different opinion to us, then we might want to exclude them even more. People who are not like us or we don't agree with, it then creates that kind of division. Now, whether these things are intentional or whether they are not, the scriptures are telling us that this kind of attitude is wrong. And a helpful question I was thinking about for myself is if I'm trying to uh, think about, am I showing favoritism to someone? Is if, that, if I think about that person, would I treat them, if, say I didn't know them, would I treat them differently if I did know them, if they were similar to me? How would I be treating them? Would it be different? And if it is different, then that's a good indication that maybe I am showing favoritism. Maybe I am excluding them or neglecting them in some kind of way. But friends, we have the wonderful opportunity, both individually and as a community, to endeavor to build up the outcasts, to include them, people who are different, to include people and to see them all with the same value as Christ does, to ensure people are all welcomed and included and embraced. And this takes intentionality and it takes action. Maybe our natural disposition may be to play favorites, but this is not the way of Christ, and it's certainly not the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
And so this is what James is calling out, and this is what he's kind of laid down in this first section, to not show favoritism. And then he moves on to explain why, the reasons against favoritism. In verses 5 to 11, he's going to give three, and we'll go through each one. And James, as he goes through these three reasons, he's very much picking up the idea of the rich and the poor. He sticks with that theme, that issue. And the first reason to not show favoritism is that it it is against God's character. It's against God's character. Have a look with me, verses 5 and 6. Listen, my brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. In other words, God cares for the poor and blesses them with rich faith. We see this kind of throughout the Old Testament. God has an immense heart to lift up the poor, to see Israel care for them. And then we see that most amazingly displayed in the person of Christ. And James is saying if God is going to choose the poor to be part of the community, to be part of his church, to be part of his kingdom, sorry, then the church should also be including the poor including anybody who is an outcast or powerless. If God's followers don't do that, then they're not following the heart of God. They're not not following his heart or commands. I often think in football terms, uh, like soccer, um, maybe influenced by Brett, I don't know. But it'd be like if a football player, before the game, the coach says, "We we want to play defensive, we want to play very conservative football. But as soon as the game starts... You play very attacking, very aggressive kind of um, risky football. The complete opposite of what the coach is saying. Like that is clearly not following the coach. And showing favoritism and neglecting the poor is directly against the heart of God. God's heart is to see all people treated equally. And this is obviously naturally displayed in caring for the poor, in caring for those who are powerless. And this is the first reason, Christians, we are, we are not to show favoritism because it doesn't reflect God's character. It doesn't reflect uh, his heart for the poor. Now, this brings us to James's uh, second reason. It's very particular to his church at that time, um, but the second reason is don't show favoritism because it's not logical. It's not rational. It's not aligned with the experience which you're having. It will make sense when we read it again. This is from the second half of verse 6. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, we don't know the exact situation which is going on here, but the, the wealthy, the rich, and the powerful are clearly in some way persecuting the Christians. But the Christians are pampering them. They're favoring them. James is saying the rich are exploiting you. They're dragging you into court for whatever, whatever they're doing is they're using their, their power and their wealth in order to make great things happen for them, but terrible things for the, for the Christians. And then thirdly, they're blaspheming God. Soft persecution, we could call it. And we can certainly relate to that. Like the slander, the, the abuse, the, the name calling, trying to give God a bad name. And James is saying you... They're treating you incredibly unfairly and then you were trying to pamper them. You're trying to favorite, play favorites with them, 
That doesn't make any sense. Why? That's not even logical. So from a logical and rational perspective in this, in this time, favoritism is not the way of the wise. And so with James putting down those two reasons, a theological one and a pragmatic one, he comes to his third reason. And this third reason is kind of the central one. It's the, really the, given its weight uh, in the passage, it is most important. The reason to not show favoritism is it, it is against the central command to love our neighbor. Let me read again verses from 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who says you shall not commit adultery also says you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. What James is is highlighting so clearly here is that the reason to not show favoritism is it is against the heart of Scripture. It is against loving your neighbor. What does Jesus say are the two greatest commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The way that we relate to each other is based on that central command to love your neighbor. And James, he just wants to drive this point home, right, doesn't he? And he goes hard because he's saying favoritism, it's not just neglecting your calling, it's not just unwise, it is straight out sinful. That is what he's saying. In verses 9 and 10, uh, 9 through to 11, sorry, saying you break that part of the law, you've broken all of it. Like a chain, right? If you, if you imagine a chain and you break one link in the chain, that chain's broken. The law is, is broken. Violating, uh, favoritism is violating the values of the kingdom of God. Now, all these three reasons... Uh, They come together, and especially that central one in loving your neighbor, to remind us that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ in every moment. We represent our God. We represent our King Jesus. And the primary ethic is to love our neighbor. If we are going to go around showing love and favoritism, if we are going to, to to show love and not favoritism, sorry, We need to make sure that we love in practical ways, especially to the poor and the powerless. So friends, this passage is the the not-so-subtle reminder that we are not just restricted to to the spiritual world, but we also have an impact on the physical world. Of course, the greatest act of love that we can show our neighbor is sharing Christ with them and having their eternity saved with him. That is the greatest act of love. But just as, as essential as, as that, like alongside it, is that we must love people in the physical world. In this moment, we must love the poor, we must care for them and meet their physical needs. I remember I was on an overseas uh, mission trip uh, to Indonesia a couple of years ago, not the most recent one, this was back in 2014. And we, were, we met up with a family uh, who was doing the w- work over there. And they were doing water and mobility projects. And we got to go out with them for a number of days and, and contribute to what they were doing. 
And one night we asked them, oh, why is it that you do what you're doing? Why is it this is uh, going on for you? And his answer was as clear as day. These people need water. I was a bit kind of surprised by that comment. These people need water. You know, of course they do. But, but like, isn't that your cover, mate? Like, isn't that you know, your kind of reason to get in the country? You, you do the water thing, but, but really you're here to, to share about Jesus? Isn't that the, the, the kind of real reason that you're here? And he said, the real reason I'm here is these people need water. They need no mobility. And of course, I hope that as we do that, we are sharing and, and displaying the heart of God and that in that process, we get to share Christ with them. He definitely saw that they were ambassadors for Christ. And I must admit, I was a bit shocked and, and lovingly rebuked at that because sharing the gospel is central and is important. But alongside that is physically loving and caring for the poor and the powerless. So friends, in our endeavor to walk in the footsteps of Christ and to live a life which embraces the heart of God, we need to continue to seek to love the poor and to lift them up. As God's people, James is calling on the church to embody that same ethic of concern for the poor and the helpless. And now that moves to the, the third section of this passage. It's still centered on favoritism, but it, rem- it moves from this kind of like more direct rebuke to the positive vision, the encouragement, the exhortation that James is seeking to shape the church and the community, to live a way which embodies the kingdom of God. I'll read again verses 12 to 13. It says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now James, he's returning to that kind of key theme of the letter here that we live out our faith. The things we say, we live out. And he's saying here that we live out the law of freedom. Now that is an immensely packed kind of verse. When I was doing the research on it, there's so much going on in regards to regards to the Old Testament, the law and the gospel and all these kind of things. However, the central point is this law that gives freedom is about us living the values of the kingdom of God. Now, the reason that it's associated with freedom is because of Christ. It's about freedom because we have the full knowledge that we have been saved by the Lord Jesus. We have been liberated. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. And a result of that, we have the Holy Spirit implanted in us, right? And we go live out the law. We live out God's will. But the law of God, it's not a, a threatening or, com- or confining kind of burden, but one that gives freedom, one that gives life. When God's laws and will is lived out, it's one that builds human flourishing. It creates that. That's God's intention. Now, in the context of this passage, this is all about loving your neighbor and and not showing favoritism. In our lives, this looks like us individually and especially as a community, creating a community of love, justice, and mercy. Now, we cannot do this alone. This is not something we just do individually. It's something we all do. We all contribute to, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And friends, in this season, as we kind of step out of the, the, the COVID lockdown life and things begin to um, ease in terms of their restrictions, like we have an incredible opportunity to display these values, to establish a community which is welcoming, inclusive, and loving. And that's not to say that we weren't doing that before, but we have a, a somewhat of a, a fresh start to assess and improve and continue to build on becoming a vibrant community of, of love, of justice, and mercy. And when we live out these values together as the, the people of God, this community is going to be vibrant. It's going to be a place that is safe and and beautiful, and loving, and godly. And we'll be an incredible light amongst the community, living out the heart of God in action, bringing hope to the poor and the powerless. It's a wonderful way for us to, to live out the kingdom of God. And hopefully we'll see new people come into our doors and they'll be welcomed, included, and embraced. And hopefully in that process we'll be able to show them we are just ambassadors for Christ. And hopefully they will come into relationship with Christ themselves. And that is the picture that James is painting for us. To strive towards a community which is not marked by favoritism, not marked by exclusion, but rather by Jesus' vision for a community which is loving. A community which centers on the values of the kingdom of God, of loving our neighbor. Let me pray for us. Our good and gracious God, these are good commands which you've given us. We know that your purposes are perfect, but Father, we also know to live out the values you've set before us uh, can be hard. And so we ask, Father, that you continue to empower us by your Holy Spirit, continue to encourage us, continue to help us to be people which encourage one another. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that our church reflects your heart, that we live out your values with Jesus as our King. Please help us to do that. And we ask that more and more and more people continue to come into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.